Welcome to episode 7 of our chapel podcast series, Faith at Works. This week's topic is from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6a, brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Steve Drinkle. Thanks for having me, folks. I um, just get myself sorted here. I read through this passage, um, James chapter 4, when I was asked to come and speak here, and I realised that it had uh, one of my favourite verses in the Bible in there, which is just the very last sentence, which is... You can um, look it back just on Okay, let me go back. Just that very last sentence says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And um, the problem was that I got given to go to uh, 4, 1 to 6a, not B. Now, it's very hard in the text to work out what it is, but I actually think A stops here. Uh, not here. But this bit that I want to speak about is God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So I've taken a little bit of license, I'm stealing B, and whoever's speaking next week, I'm asking if they go from just straight seven onto whatever the, the end of the thing is. But I wanted to talk about that. Now, I read it through several times, read the book of James, praying about what I think God would want me to, to say today. And what really came to my mind was uh, to talk a little bit about my dad, as strange as that sounds. And um, my dad passed away six or seven years ago, and I don't think anyone in the room knows him, so I'm in no danger of, um, of anything there. But my dad had, had an amazing effect on me and, and my family. And uh, I, I often think back to what, what was it that he did when he raised us that had such an effect on us. And he taught us lots of things about, about our faith. We went to Sunday school. We went to church. Uh, Mum and Dad were always trying to shape our behaviour, you know, do this, don't do that, tell the truth, son, you know, all those sorts of things. But one thing stood out for my dad above everything else that, that, that I remember of my childhood. If I could sum up the one thing I reckon he wanted us to know above all other things, it would be something like, Steve, don't be a show-off, humble yourself. Don't be a show-off, Steve. Stop, or he would say, stop being a skite, Steve. You know, stop drawing attention to yourself. It's not all about you. Humble yourself. If you're really good at something, Steve, everyone will already know you. You won't have to tell them. People who tell you they're good probably aren't, he would say, and he'd go on and on and on about it. It's like his greatest fear was that we'd come home from school and say, Dad, I kicked a goal today. I was so awesome. You should have seen me. The crowd all yelled and whatever. That would be my dad's worst nightmare, that we would be drawing attention to ourselves. That would be proud. And it, uh, it became quite comical when I look back on it because... My dad worked for Scripture Union, which is now SU Queensland. And in the 80s, they did chaplaincy, but they also did a whole lot of camping, and dad ran the camping program. So as a kid from like one till 18 years of age, every school holidays, uh, I was on a camp, a high school camp with 100 other kids, a Christian camp. So apart from you know getting to hear about the gospel and those other things that we did, uh, we were constantly doing fun stuff. So like we were learning to surf when no, no kid our age had a surfboard in the 80s. And we were kayaking and riding horses and climbing mountains and um, you know, water skiing and tobogganing and learning to play instruments just because that's what the camp was about. And so we learned these things. So by the time you know, we got to be maybe 10, 11, 12 years of age, we were really quite good at some of these things compared to other 10-year-olds. So in particular, uh, we spent a lot of time water skiing. So we'd go from you know, learning to, to ski on two skis and then we figured out we could ski on one ski and then 
Um, you know, we figured out you could jump off the banking scheme without even get it, having to get in the water to start, and that was really impressive, you know. Um, at, at one stage, we skied around the whole lake just on a fence piling that we pulled off the fence at home, and just the water pressure holding it on our feet. And so you can imagine as a 10 or 12 year old, I was pretty keen to show some people some of these skills that I had learned and see if I could get a round of applause or some attention. And my dad wouldn't let us do any tricks anywhere near the bank. Right? He'd say, if you want to do your tricks, you do them out in the middle of the lake where no one can see you, and I'll clap and cheer and I'll think you're great, but don't you do it in there. Don't be a skite steed. Don't be a poser. Humble yourself. So what's the point of knowing this great trick if I'm doing it out for my dad? I want to do it for all these people. You know? So one, one afternoon, we came in and the bank was full of, full of kids, high school kids, and they were probably even older than me, parents, kids, maybe 100 people on the bank and 30 right down on the sand. So I come in on my single ski and I'm going really quite fast and they, they spin around and I said, right, I'm going to put on a show here. So flying into the bank and let go and it looks like I'm going to just crash onto the bank. But at the last minute I leaned and turned this big um, turn so it sprayed water all over the 15 or 20 people that were all kind of on the bank and they, oh, ah, and what have you. And I got up and put my life jacket on and on the ground. So my dad just went straight around with the boat. Pulls up on the thing, gets out of the boat. Oh. You come to Steve, come here. Said, don't be a poser. Don't be a th- I've told you about that, you know. Don't be a poser. If you're really good at something, you don't have to say, what have I told you about? You've got to humble yourself. And he gave me this big lecture. And then he, then he gave me a sermon. He's like, you know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, don't you? <laughs> and I'm like, no, who's Nebuchadnezzar? We didn't do that in Sunday school. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he would be a poser. He thought he'd be really proud and stand up to God. And, you know, God made him, you know, get on hands and knees and eat grass for seven years or something. Do you, do you want to be a Nebuchadnezzar? No, Dad, I don't want to. Do you want to eat grass? No, I don't want to. Don't be a poser. Humble yourself. And there was many instances like that through my high school. In fact, my nickname became Neb, I think, from from Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be such a Neb. Stop drawing attention to yourself. And uh, I was looking back and all my siblings could have similar stories about that. But my dad, over like 30, 40 years, became a really influential Christian leader in the in the small town of Brisbane. Uh, so much so that wherever I went as a, as a high school kid, if, if I ever had to put my name down and say, what's your name, Steve Drinkle? I'd go, oh, Steve Drinkle. Oh, Drinkle, you don't, you're not related to Keith Drinkle, are you? Yeah, he's my dad. Oh, say good day to him for you. He's had a real influence on my life. Okay. So go home. So I could be at a volleyball tournament. I could be signing up for the... You know, for a Centrelink, you know, for a job. Go, What's your name? Drinker. Drinker. You know, you're not related to Keith Drinker. Yes, I am. Uh, one day, when I was in grade 11, the local radio station had a had a competition where, when you hear the song, you you've got to ring up, and if you're the 10th caller, you get a prize. Or so the song comes on the radio, and I pick it up and what have you, and they say, "G'day, it's Radio 10. You're the 10th caller. What's your name? Steve Drinker." Drink all. You don't happen to be related to, you know. <laughs> like, yes, I am. Okay, I won my prize, but on national, you know, national radio or something. Always linked to, to Dad. To the point where he finally passed away about um, seven years ago. They held his uh, funeral. And we, we actually got a bigger place than our little church because someone said, I think there's going to be more people who want to come. 
And in the end, more than a thousand people turned up at Dad's funeral. They came, they took holidays, they came from all across the state. Uh, we did not know more than half of them. Mum, mum knew more than us, but we just didn't know who these people are. And I remember seeing and thinking, why have they all come? Like, I think he was a good guy. Yes, he'd put together 30, 40 years of good ministry in, in SU and then local churches. But, but what is this influence that he has had? He didn't write a book. He wasn't a conference speaker. You wouldn't, he wasn't famous, but highly, highly, highly influential. And I started to realise as I started to talk to people that his real secret source was not his gifts, which he had. He was a great communicator. It wasn't his spiritual gifts. It was actually his posture of humility. He was just a great example of a humble Christian leader. And it was that stance that God chose to use to make him so influential. And so from his funeral on, whenever people came up to me and said, oh, you're Steve Drinkle, you're not related to Keith, are you? Which still happened just last week, someone asked me this, right? This happens all the time. Uh, I've started saying to them, can you tell me, uh, what is it that he actually did? Like, what, what did he say or do or why are you stopping me 35 years later just because I've got the same surname and want to be remembered to my mum because you think Dad had such a great influence on your life? What did he actually do? Can you tell me? And as I started to ask people, they, there was three um, answers that became really <clears throat> common that people kept kind of saying back to me. The first thing they said is that, you know, when when you were talking with your dad, he had this ability to make you feel like you were the only person in the room. He was busy, he had tons of stuff on, but you just knew that he had your attention and that he was the most important thing in that moment is what was going on with you and what was happening with you and he was dialed in and listening and just had such an amazing effect on me. Answer number two, people said, um, your dad had an amazing way of ha almost having faith for you. Almost like empowering you so that um, you felt like you could straighten out your own Christian life. It wasn't that he taught you lots of stuff or told you stuff, but somehow in the conversation he passed on a faith that really, you walked away really believing you could straighten out your own Christian life. One guy said to me, he said, I had two or three conversations with your dad when I was like 21, 23, and I was going to throw in my faith. I was going to, you know, I was done with it. It was confusing. I had doubts. I was angry at my local church. I was, I was done with it. And somehow when I left, I felt like a glimmer of hope. You know, I can straighten this out. There is hope for my faith from this moment on, no matter how lost I felt. And he said, I've never forgot it. And he went on. And the third thing that they said, uh, and they often say, I, I resonate with personally, they said, your dad had almost no self-confidence, but he was God-confident. And he never presented like, you know, I got this. That, that phrase, I got this, my dad never got this. He never would go into a situation or a jam saying, I'm going to pull my way through this. I, I have enough resources on board and skills and gifts and experience. I'm going to get this thing done. He never thought that. In fact, he was quite unconfident in his self and his own abilities. But over years of watching God do work, he developed a God confidence where he would, he would say God confidence. I remember one time I was organising a, a camp that I was running for 100 kids or something. I must have been 22 or 23. And 
it all fell apart the week before. Like big things, like the cooks couldn't come anymore and the bus broke down. One of the boats that we we're going to use, can, we can no longer use. And so this great organised piece of ministry that was going to happen just crashed the week before. And I remember saying to my dad, saying, this is a disaster. It's like, you know, we worked so hard, the thing's falling apart, it's all going to be a mess or whatever. And I remember him saying, he said, oh, Steve, I've seen this before. You watch this. You watch what God does here. I've seen this. What happens is sometimes you think you've got it sorted, it's going to go well, and then Satan comes in and kicks a few things over and he distracts you and he pulls you and he discourages you, whatever. He said, but just, just hold the course. Just keep doing what you're doing and you watch and you pray. God's going to do something here. I've seen this before. He loves this. His confidence was, God has got this. He's going to come through. You just watch. And as I went through that week and did nothing different, I watched God put this thing back together just as Dad had said. And became, and it was a great camp. Um, it was a confidence that God has got this, not that, that um, we've got this. So why am I telling you all of this? What's well, this got to do with James? Because as I read back through the book of James, I really, really came to believe that this posture of humility, which is a theme of the book of James, this posture of humility really is the secret source to what God can do through us. And if I summarise the book of James in a sentence, it's almost like James through all of those chapters and he talks about favouritism and taming the tongue and faith and works and all of these little things. If you look for the thread, it's almost like James is saying, are you going to humble yourself? Are you going to um, ask and trust and seek God with pure motives from a posture of humility? Or are you going to take pride in your own ability? And are you going to, with envy, fight and take according to all the power and scheming you can muster? What's it going to be? Are you going to humbly stand before God and allow him to work in and through you? Or are you going to grab and take and scheme and make it happen yourself and take uh, confidence in your own kind of uh, ability? I just dug back through uh, some of these things. So from James 1, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. My dear brothers and sisters, Trinity students, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God that is planted in you, which can save you. Who's wise or understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy, and harbour means allow to dock. So if you're allowed to dock in your life, bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Or do you suppose that it's for nothing that the scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now listen, you Trinity students who say, yeah, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, what you ought to say is, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you'll boast in your arrogant, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Whenever I think of this, I think of like sailing. I don't know if you've ever sailed or you've paddleboarded into the wind or, you know, stand-up paddleboard or something like that. When you're working and the wind is blowing in your face, it is just robbing all of your effort, isn't it? You just work doubly hard just to stay in the one place. God opposes the proud. He is a wind in their face. He's actively engaged in thwarting their efforts. Now, you do not want the God of the universe actively engaged in opposing you because of this prideful stance. But he gives grace to the humble. He is a tailwind in the sails of people who will humble themselves, who will understand that they are valuable to God, that, they, that he loves them, he cared for them, he created them. If they were the only human being that ever lived, God would still have saved them. They're of incredible value to God, and at exactly the same time, it's not all about them. Right? They can be so confident in who God has created them to be, that they can afford to give their life away. They can love, they can serve others, they don't need the attention, it doesn't have to be about them, because they have humbled themselves before God so that they can give themselves away. Um, I only say all of that to say that I really do believe, and it's thought more in the last couple of weeks, but Dad had lots of faults and lots of things, but he was a great example of just a humble Christian leader that put together 40 or 50 years of ministry in a row. And it had an enormous effect. And I was thinking of us as Trinity students sitting here now with a, with a lifetime, whatever lifetime we've got in front of us left of ministry and influence. And just thinking that your posture as you go through the next 20 or 30 years literally helps decide how much God can be a wind in your sails. It won't make you famous or a big wig or a household name or anything like that necessarily. But it is a wind of the spirit that gives a quality to everything you do. It turns an average Bible study into something that connects with four or five people in a life-changing way. It turns, it turns a sermon into something that unlocks somebody who's just been stuck and can't get through their doubts. It's the spirit working through our very average application of our gifts to turn it into magic or really for the kingdom to come. But I take from this verse to say that God is a wind in the sails of those who will humble themselves and he is against those who will take pride in their own ability to get through it. And humbling ourselves is an act of the will. As you read through those verses, it's so therefore humble yourself. Take action. Place yourself in a less important role. Um, understand where you sit in the world before God and before people. It's an act of the will. It's a fitness. 
You won't sort out your humility one day and pick it off a list like you've got it done. It, it is a daily, weekly, monthly act of deciding to humble ourselves so that God can increase and we can we can be good. So as we finish, I just want to give us some practice homework. This is a theological college after all. Uh, and there's three challenges. The good news is you only have to pick one. Okay, so you can have a look at them and pick the easiest one. That's 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 fine. And then I've got a bonus one just for Paul Jones because he's the principal of the college. So I thought, you know, we'll have an extra hard one for Paul. All right, so let's go to practice number one. C.S. Lewis says that you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not self-depreciating, oh, well, with me, I'm nothing, I'm not important. It's not that. It's just that I'm thinking less of myself because I'm thinking of others. Confident in what, that God is looking after me, so therefore I can go and give myself away. I'm covered, he's got this, he's got me, I'm fine. So I wonder if each night this week you could go to bed thinking of how others are doing rather than how you are doing and talk to God about the people you think of before you fall asleep. Almost every night I go to sleep I'm thinking about myself and how I'm doing. How am I coping? What's come up next week? I go to sleep thinking about myself. I wonder if we could just stop that for a bit. Go to bed thinking how someone else is doing. Seeing how it can better That's challenge number one. Second one. Whenever you have an opportunity this month, give up something for someone else. It might be your seat on public transport, the best place for watching TV, control of the remote, your place in the queue, the best seat in the cafe. Because if humility is about posturing and placing ourselves, think about how often I go to a cafe and I search around and think, what is the best seat here? I'm going for that. I'm placing myself as the most important thing, aren't I? We got on a bus, I'm looking for a seat. Someone else can stand up. These little things are giving away that we are really more focused on ourselves than we are on others. So what we could deliberately do is just whenever we go into a building, I appreciate that you came and sat in the front seat. I think that's the worst seat in the whole place. But, you know, you came down here humbly and you sat in that front seat. But you don't have to tell anyone about this. Don't make a big deal of it. It's just between you. But when I walk into a room for a month, what is the worst seat in this place? I'm going to deliberately choose there to remind myself this is not about me. It's a challenge. Three, pray that God's life will bring you one good humiliation a day. It might be a situation where you don't get your own way, where you're overlooked, or when someone doesn't respect you. Watch how you respond. If you become defensive, maybe consider what you might be defending. If you're able to respond with love, or at least at the very least say nothing, you might be beginning to practice humility. Um, I've done this one before. Went for a month just praying for one good humiliation a day. And I, I can't remember what they all were, but I, I got them every single day. <laughs> every single day I just, you know. It's a challenge. Don't tell anyone. It's not a big deal. It's just a personal spiritual discipline see how I respond if I don't get respected or my idea doesn't get taken up or people don't give me the credit for something that I did. How do I respond? And the last one's for Paul Jones. It's a bonus homework challenge. Find a recipe for humble pie and bake one. You can do this on the internet. Google humble pie and you'll find all sorts of recipes. Bake one. While you're baking it, think about any relationships that are difficult at the moment. 
if possible, go and eat the pie you've made with that person and apologise for any part that you've played in the relationship breakdown, even if you don't think you're at fault. Humble yourself. If my dad was here, he would say, don't be a shell, don't be a scot, don't draw attention to yourself. It's not about you. Recognise that God loves you so much, he is on your team so much, you have so much favour, you've had so much grace come into your life that you can afford to give your life away and not make it about you and still win all the way from now to eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we know when we read your stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that that you didn't tell us to be humble, you practiced it. You went to the back of lines, you washed feet. You didn't make it all about you. You, you modeled in real time what it means to be humble. And yet, Lord, you had everything to promote about yourself. You had every reason to, uh, to be proud. You had every reason, you had more abilities than anyone, you had more capacity than anyone. And yet, you come from the smallest village. Um, you gather a ragtag bunch of disciples who aren't the top students. You show us in real time what it means to humble yourself before God and allow God, uh, His Spirit, to work in and through you. So, Lord Jesus, I want to pray as we're reminded of this today and as we go through this month that you would teach us, teach us what it means to take on a humble position, to trust that you have our backs, that, that, that your grace and your favour is sufficient for us and that we can afford to give our lives away and still be fine. Would you teach us what that means this, this month in real things, with our real relationships, at our real churches, at our real workplaces, uh, as we do real things, teach us to humble ourselves so that you can work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.